kind of titled this message, and there are a few guys who are going to help me with it, uh, Accepted in the Beloved. Or if we were to subtitle it, Knowing Our Heavenly Father's Heart. The ideas of fatherhood are prominent in the Bible. And unlike the gods of other religions, the Christian God is portrayed as a loving father. In fact, Jesus says we can approach him, our father in heaven. Imagine what your life would be like if you completely trusted God, your loving heavenly father with everything. That's a key proposition that I want to put to you. Imagine what your life would be like if you completely trusted your loving Heavenly Father. Now, I know many of us do trust, but I'm talking about completely trusting. Others have questions because of bad experiences with their fathers. Jesus trusted His Father completely. As He was dying on the cross, Jesus called out with these the loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Just imagine that complete trust, not just trusting him with his life, but trusting him with his death, complete trust. And we're going to now explore a few other aspects about the Father heart of God and fathers. And I'm Excited that Richard, Joe, and Paul are going to join with us, each of them speaking on something. This was pre-recorded, and so I'm going to hand over to them now. Take it away, guys. I know it's going to be good. G'day there. I've been asked to share about one of the characters from the Bible who has inspired me and informed um, my fathering of of my own children and uh drawing from the bible obviously there's so many rich people that we can choose from whether we uh, think about abram uh, we think about joseph we think about the promises of 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 moses or or david Uh, and obviously we can think about jesus as his example but the person who um, as i said to think about this that I've always been intrigued by, but also encouraged by, is the person known as the son of encouragement, Barnabas. We're introduced to Barnabas in Acts. He's a a Levite uh, from uh, Cyprus. And as a Levite, he would have been educated. He would have known um, the traditions of the Jewish people. He would have been brought up in a Christian household and Uh, like, sorry, in a faith-filled household. And that is a household that I've been brought up in as well. My father was a pastor. But the thing that made Barnabas such an amazing character was that he believed in the people that God brought across his path. And we see this in particular in the way he lived his life. Like we know he was a very generous man. He was one of the first of the disciples to, you know, to sell all that he had and to bring it to the feet of of the apostles and the disciples in Acts. Uh, That's when we're first introduced to him. But then he becomes one who is sent out to Antioch. He believes in Paul and Paul's calling. And as a person who, who sees Saul, this, the person who had threatened the church, he sees 
the conversion and believes that God has his hand on him and invests himself into the life of Saul and, and nurtures him as Paul. And together they become uh, ones who are sent out to, to plant churches in the Gentile world. He initially was the leader of, of that. And um, we, we see that as a, um, you know, he goes to one of the cities and they say, well, you know, Barnabas is like um, the god Zeus and, and Paul is like Hermes, the messenger. But after a while, um, we see that as he invests himself with, with Paul, Paul's anointing uh, makes way for him. Barnabas doesn't become jealous of that. He's a person who applauds those who go beyond him. And as a father, that's something that, that I desire for the next generation. And I, I see that in my own, own children, what they can do for the kingdom of God. And so I wanted to give them space and encouragement to make room for their gifts to grow and to, um, to encourage that to happen both with um, physical resources, time resources, scriptural resources, uh, and emotional resources, emotional support, spiritual support, the prayer support, and also financial support where necessary. We see Barnabas continue to do this, even when it led to a conflict between uh, him and Paul over the, the person we now know as the writer of Mark, John Mark. And they had a major um, disagreement about this. But it wasn't something that kept them from being able to see the, the kingdom of God and those kingdom values be established in, the, in Barnabas's life. And later on, we hear uh, Paul write, you know, remember John Mark um, and, and Barnabas, who I've told you about, these are they're amazing, useful people. He speaks of the, of the grace upon their life. He speaks graciously about that. And so we, we can tell from that, that particular uh, writing of Paul that the relationships that had been once in conflict had been resolved. What that tells me about Barnabas is that he was prepared to stand up for someone who had made a mistake. And as a father, that is something that, that I've treasured, that I've wanted to stand with my family when they've made a mistake. As a father, I want to have the same grace, that same spirit of grace, same spirit of encouragement as Barnabas. Bless you. The role of a father is quite diverse, one of which is leadership. A Bible character that significantly inspires me is a man by the name Joshua. Joshua was a man who took time to understudy Moses. He demonstrated to me the importance of mentorship. Joshua would work with Moses over many years and would learn from him. He will learn the good things that will lead him into success as a leader. He would also learn the things that are better avoided. And Joshua demonstrated to me that there is a place for mentorship. 
mentorship as a father in my household, mentorship in my spiritual walk with God, mentorship even in my career. One other quality that I admire so much about Joshua is being courageous. He was a strong and very courageous man. As we would see, Joshua was one of the 12 spies that were selected to spy the promised land ahead of the children of Israel taking possession of it. As we all know, the life of a spy can be in danger. Yet, Joshua will take up this responsibility and be a part of the spies. And in my role as a father, sometimes you have to make some difficult decisions on behalf of your family, knowing that there is a greater good on the other side of such confronting decisions. Joshua was not only a part of the 12 spies, which was a risky thing to do. Joshua and Caleb, two out of 12, had unpopular opinion with regards to their report following the spy activity. Whilst the 10 will hold a different kind of report, Joshua and Caleb will see the promised land the way that God wanted them to see it. Though unpopular, he would see it as a place of opportunity, yet report the challenges that lay ahead. I see in Joshua a quality of being honest and demonstrating integrity to the people that he was leading. Joshua also demonstrated patience. As a person, I'm not a very patient person, but I've since learned from Joshua that in leadership, patience is important. He would be patient and understood Moses for many years. He would also, in patience, learn the strong qualities of a leader. He also learned patiently to run his own race and wait for the time that God was going to saddle him with the responsibility of leadership. He wasn't in a rush. He was waiting for God's time. Joshua also demonstrated a quality of standing for what he believed in. He will stand before the children of Israel, which he led, and say to them, there are options of decisions. However, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can choose what you want to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he went ahead to demonstrate that to his family and to many people that followed him afterwards. So I see in Joshua a character of leading by example and standing firmly and confidently proclaiming who he believed in. Happy Father's Day, church. God bless your life, you see. 
Morning, Church. Uh, happy Father's Day. Um, uh, this morning I've been asked to share about a character in the Bible that has inspired and helped me in, in being a father. But before we begin, let me uh, introduce myself. My name's Paul, and, and I've been attending Life Unlimited Church for about 20 years with my wife, Teresa, and our three children, Isaac, Emma, and Aaron, who are now young adults. In addition, uh, later this month, we'll welcome into our family uh, a beautiful daughter-in-law, Andrea, as she marries our son, Isaac. So uh, let's begin. What, what character in the Bible has inspired and helped me in being a father? As I pondered this during the week, I, I thought of a number of characters, but the one that stood out for me was David. And so this morning, I'd like to just quickly draw out three points from David's life that have inspired and helped me in being a father. Um, I think we're all aware of the story of David and Goliath and, and how David went into battle for uh, Israel. And, and just before he went into battle, he went down into the into the stream and chose five stones. And as I pondered this during the week, I, I wondered why he took five stones. And I thought, well, was it because he didn't have enough faith in God? And I thought, no, I don't believe so. And then I, I thought about, well, he, he, he took those five stones because he went into battle prepared. What if after he killed Goliath, the Philistines came after him? Or even worse still, after he'd killed Goliath, Goliath's four brothers came after him. So David realized that uh, he needed to go into battle prepared and he needed to go into battle leaning on God's strength. And so this has helped me in, in being a father that there are battles for our family that we'll have to face and we need to go into battle being prepared and leaning on God's strength. How do we go into battle being prepared? Well, just like David, we, we go into battle taking what God has given us. Uh, we also uh, make sure that we have the correct tools we put on the armor of God and then we allow God to be our strength and protector. The second point I'd like to uh, share with you is that, boy, David was not perfect and, and he did stuff up. And time doesn't permit this morning to go into that part of the story. But, but what we know about um, David is that he eventually realized that he had uh, done some things that were, were wrong and he sought forgiveness from his God and so what's helped me in this part of the story in being a father is that oh, I'm not perfect and I do make mistakes as a father but the important thing is that I need to recognize those things and seek forgiveness from my God, and also those that I may have wronged. And at times, that might include my children, which is, it can be difficult to do, uh, to fess up to your, to your kids. The last point I'd like to uh, draw out of David's life is the fact that although he wasn't a, a perfect dad, he did have an undeniable heart after God. He sought God. He 
lent into God um, in, in all that he, he tried to do. And I think that um, that's really important as a father. What I've learned from, from that part is that as, as I try to model uh, what it is to be a godly man and, and a man after God's own heart, so too my children see that and, and want to model that. So before I finish, I just want to encourage all the fathers today to, to be courageous, to be brave, to take up the fight for your family. Understand that sometimes we will make mistakes, but if we seek forgiveness from our God and lean into our Heavenly Father and, and lean on Him and seek His face, I believe our children will see that and want to model that as well. Thanks, Church, and have a great day. Thank you, Richard and Joe and Paul. Each one of you brought something really powerful to us about your own father or your, uh, the qualities you want to express as a father. But they also reflect qualities that flow out of our Heavenly Father's heart. And Jesus portrays our Heavenly Father as approachable and accepting of us, even when we sin, when we fail, and in our brokenness. In fact, Jesus invites us into this incredibly intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father and invites us to call Him Abba, which is an Aramaic word and has a tenderness and an intimacy about it. It's not as authoritarian, if you like, as Father, which is pathos, the Greek word. And there's this intimacy, there's this closeness, there's this warmth, there's this affection that Jesus says, you can come into this. In fact, God is so serious about you having that kind of intimate relationship with Him, of calling Him Abba, that He, in sending His Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is to put something within us, the Spirit of Jesus within us, to call out to our Heavenly Father, Abba Father. Look at this in in Galatians, sorry, Galatians 4 verse 6 to 7. Because you are his sons and daughters, his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And I want you to catch the spirit of Jesus within us, where he invites us as children of God to call out to our heavenly Father, Abba, Daddy, intimacy. You see, one of the most prevalent emotions and problems in our culture, our society today, is the issue of rejection. And all of us have experienced rejection in some way, and some from their fathers, and it's a deep pain, or other authority figures. It's this deep, deep pain that sits in the human heart. It's one of the deepest wounds that a human heart ever has to endure. And Jesus redeemed our rejection. You see, on the cross, there was a whole lot of exchanges that took place and we explored them over the last few weeks. But rejection was one of them. He took our rejection so we could experience our Heavenly Father's acceptance. 
Matthew records in Matthew 27 and verse 46, about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sababachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's an agonizing cry from the heart of Jesus, literally moments before he dies and commits his spirit into his father's hands. Greek was the most common language spoken in the empire at that time. And Jesus spoke that, but he also spoke what was his home language, his original language, Aramaic. And Jesus on the cross in this cry reverts to Aramaic, the language of his childhood on the cross. And it has been studied that whenever people are under intense pressure, in pain, emotionally distraught or physically in pain or dying, they revert back to the language they first learned as a child. It describes the incredible agony, the pain that Jesus is in. This shows the humanity of Jesus, the agony that he went through, the sense of loneliness, an absolute sense of abandonment that he experienced on the cross. Jesus experienced the most agonizing of all rejection. When he cried out in his agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Heaven did not answer. For the first time in the history of the universe, in the first time in the relationship between father and son, Jesus prayed and got no answer. There was this sense of absolute abandonment and rejection. And Jesus endured our rejection that we might experience our heavenly father's acceptance. Jesus took your rejection and all the pain of it on the cross so that you could experience in exchange your heavenly father's acceptance. The apostle Paul describes our heavenly father's acceptance in so many places, but I'm just going to focus on one verse in Ephesians 1 and verse 6, where it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And I want you to notice, He has made us accepted in the beloved. Literally, the phrase means He bestowed grace and favor on us and graciously accepted us. It's not a grudging acceptance. It's not a reluctant acceptance. It's not a conditional acceptance. It is the bestowing of extraordinary grace upon you and me, extraordinary favor. Because of what Jesus suffered, we experience the acceptance and the intimacy and the grace that was upon him in his eternal relationship with the Father. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I want you to notice you don't make yourself acceptable to God. That's legalism and, and it's a harsh thing and you will always fail and then the devil will shove your failure in your face. But Jesus makes you and I accepted in the blood by all that he accomplished on the cross, by all his suffering, by him experiencing the pain of heaven's silence in the moment of his agony. We experience God's acceptance. 
I love the story of the prodigal son. And I'm going to encourage you somewhere today, maybe this week, to just sit down and reread that out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and read it a few times and catch the heart of God, your heavenly Father. But very simply, it's the story of a boy who demands his inheritance, literally wishing that his father was dead, goes off to a far country and lives a lifestyle in total opposition to that which his father would have raised him to do. And he loses his inheritance and he ends up in a pig pen. He ends up in a pit, as it were. He couldn't fall any further in the understanding that he had of the way his society was structured. He's sharing food with the pigs, fighting them off to get an existence. And he comes to his senses. It's total insanity to live your life independent of God, rejecting your heavenly Father's love. So he comes to his sanity, he gains his sanity and he says, I will arise and I'll go back to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I love these verses. He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him and then welcomed him back, put a robe on him, a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet, a whole lot of things that are so powerful and so significant in that culture. But I want you to get this. The moment his heart turned towards home. The moment the father saw him returning, while he was still a long way off, the father ran to accept him, to welcome him, to bring him back into the family. And he rejected the notion of the the son who'd failed so terribly, becoming a servant, becoming a slave. He said, no, you're not coming back as that. You're coming back as my son, as my child. That's the Father's love towards you. That's the Father's acceptance that He bestows upon you. That's what Jesus accomplished. He has made you accepted in the beloved. You see, we can't make ourselves acceptable to God. We'll always fail. We'll always break our promise, even with our best efforts. And then our failure will crush us if that's what we're trying to do, make ourselves acceptable to God. It's by His grace that He makes us accepted in Christ, in all that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And acceptance before your heavenly Father is your eternal position. I want to say that again. Acceptance is your eternal position before your heavenly Father. Paul in Romans 5 and verse 8 says an astonishing thing, that God demonstrates his own love for us. So it's not just words. In all that Jesus did on the cross, God was demonstrating, showing how much he loved us. And then he says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we were at our worst, while we were still sinners, Christ died. It wasn't, oh, fix yourself up a little bit, sort that part of your life out. And then when you got yourself kind of together and you just needed a little bit of help, 
I'll send my son to die for you. He says, now, while you are at your worst, your very worst, I love you so much that my son died for you so that you could be accepted and come into the family of God, be a child of God, have the spirit of Jesus deposited in your life, whereby you cry, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father. And God wants to do that in your life. Firstly, if you've never ever said yes to Jesus, now's your opportunity to get reconciled to God because of all that Jesus did to pay the price, the penalty of pain, of suffering, of rebellion, of everything else that He accomplished on the cross. Perhaps you've drifted away from God. Well, then my reference to the prodigal son, the minute your heart turns towards home, the heavenly father runs towards you and welcomes you, not with judgment, not pointing out your faults, but with compassion and bringing you back into the family, restoring you, not as kind of a second rate person in the kingdom, but as a son, as a daughter with all the authority and all the righteousness imparted to you. 